G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. We're going to talk through the controversial issue of climate change and you might like to share your perspectives. What are your concerns about the climate change debate? Is there such a thing as a Christian biblical position on climate change? We'll we'll open our talkback lines. In fact, they're open now. You can call us on 1-800-880-876 if you'd like to be a part of our conversation. Our special guest through the hour and fielding some calls, Dr Mick Pope, meteorologist, and he is the Ethos Environment Coordinator. Now, Ethos is the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, and Ethos is like a network of Christian thinkers and activists who are drawn together in a series of standing think tanks. Mick Pope, he's our guest. He has degrees in mathematics, in physics, in meteorology and theology, and including a PhD from Monash University in tropical meteorology. Let's meet our guest. Hello, Mick. Welcome to 2020. Good afternoon, Neil. Lovely to be on your program. Mick, it is good to have your input into this conversation today. Uh, Tell me about your role with Ethos, because you're sort of heading up the environment side of the way that Ethos thinks about the issues that we're facing in society and globally today. Uh, What does it mean to be the Ethos Environment Coordinator? Well, in in terms of uh, the various think tanks, we... um we coordinate groups of people who get together and, and share ideas. Uh, a number of years ago, we had a um, Michael Northcote, who's a Christian ethicist who deals particularly in environmental issues and climate change, and we ran a conference. Uh, we also contribute to uh, a program called Hope for Creation, which is a, a once-a-year day of prayer as well as um, information on the website and advocacy and so on and so forth uh, that deals with the issue of climate change, trying to inform Christians, uh, trying to get them uh, thinking actively about what they might do, both on the political scene and on the personal scene. So I guess to summarise, my role is just to to group together people who are passionate and who have ideas and expertise and and see what falls out. Well, let's ask you about checking the pulse of Christians, the broader community, perhaps Christian leaders, people you're coming into contact to when you're uh, with you when you're speaking at various engagements. Is there a feeling about the climate change issue that's coming from Christians that is uh, really uh, one way or the other? Are people's concerns about climate change? I mean, is this real? Is this not real? Uh, is it emotively driven? Are there facts here on both sides? If we were checking the pulse of Christians who engage in this side of uh, the controversy of climate change, what are your thoughts on where people stand? When I get invited to, to give a presentation at a church or a community group or to um, like an advocacy organisation, you generally find that most people are on board uh, and their concerns cover a number of fronts. There's generally an acceptance of the science 
there's a concern about the political front and, and that will vary depending on who you speak to. So on one hand, people might be concerned about the inaction from the present government, the seeming apathy. And then on the other, you've got the concern that those who seem to speak most loudly about climate change, for example, the Greens, hold some uh, positions that are manifestly unchristian, at least to, to some people's way of thinking. Uh, there's concerns on the issues of, of justice because what we find is that the the people who are currently suffering the most from climate change contribute the least to the problem. So there's a there's a suite of issues that I, I meet from from day to day. People have uh, ju justice concerns, theological concerns. They can see the science for themselves. It, 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 the, the basics of the science are fairly easy to grasp. So there's those levels of concerns. I do, uh, from time to time, interact with people who are, are less than convinced. Um, but from my own experience, and maybe that's somewhat shaped by where I get to speak, uh, that's been largely in the minority. Sometimes, I guess, people who are against what you say, uh, do they get angry? Are they driven by the idea that this is, you know, as some have said, the biggest hoax on society, uh, a whole bunch of conspiracy theories about world domination, those sorts of things? Are those are the type of uh, uh, controversies that sometimes come up in an, in an angry response to, uh, to having a Christian position on climate change? Climate change is an issue that invokes strong emotions because people can see very clearly and very quickly that it's not just a scientific issue and it's not just a technological issue as if you can put a simple band-aid over things but it's an issue of, of justice and it's an issue of politics and it really does address uh, the way in which we live, a lot, live our lives so people can see. I remember Andrew Bolt, for example, um, writing in a blog post once, and he's a reasonably conservative uh, commentator, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but saying that uh, the Greens didn't want him to eat meat and therefore he didn't believe in climate change because one of the things that's said is that um, cows and sheep produce a fair amount of methane, which is, of course is a greenhouse gas and, and makes some contribution to, to global warming. So there are certainly very visceral reactions on both sides. People who see Tuvalu Islanders in the Pacific, who are our Christians, brothers and sisters, their lifestyle and their, their very uh, livelihoods and the islands disappearing beneath the waves. So there's that strong visceral justice issue. And then on the other side, it's, well, uh, what are people telling me how I should live my life and reacting against that, perhaps more than saying, well, the obvious signs are there. Uh, so, yeah, it, it draws very strong reactions, I think. Well, we're going to get into uh, taking sides and talking about the issue of climate change through the hour. And I want to invite our listeners to be a part of our conversation. Our talkback line is open. We may get a lot of calls uh, through the hour. We'll, uh, we'll get as many to air as we can. Uh, you might like to talk to us about what your concerns are about climate change, uh, even even your uh, your assessments of the debate and how the debate goes on. Is there such a thing as a Christian biblical position on climate change? Well, our talkback line is open, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. And before we even really get into things, let's just take a call now. Uh, we have uh, Doug from Glen Innes in New South Wales. Hello, Doug. Welcome to Twenty Twenty. Good day. Doug, uh, we're talking through the issues and haven't really got into the meaty bits yet, but what are your thoughts on uh, what we're talking about? Uh, well, how should um, Christians uh, respond to global warming or, or any other major issue for that matter? Um, I should probably start out with my position, and that is um, global warming, um, I, I, I believe, is happening, is, is occurring, but... Uh, the evidence that carbon is responsible for it, I don't think that evidence has been shown yet. 
Uh, let's hear from Mick then uh, on this particular point because, uh, Mick, you said uh, some of the science is actually not really that hard to grasp with this issue of carbon. Uh, addressing what Doug's concern is here, what are your thoughts? Well, Tyndale over 150 years ago was giving public demonstrations of how if you have a tube uh, full of just ordinary atmospheric gas and you add carbon dioxide to it, how it extinguishes the heat that comes from a flame. So the science that there are certain gases that absorb and re-emit heat is pretty well established. It's, you know, all, no coincidence that temperatures start to rise at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution when lots of coal is being burned to drive um, steam engines and so on and so forth. And there's a pretty good match between the trend in carbon emissions, both in terms of carbon dioxide and methane, and temperature increases. The, one of the other issues is that when you start looking at other potential causes, you find that they fall short. So, for example, uh, temperatures have been, the past three decades have been the warmest on record. In fact, I have a press report in front of me from NASA that says that the Earth has experienced the warmest six-month stretch ever recorded. Uh, not so long ago, when temperatures were continuing to rise, uh, astrophysicists were looking at the sun's output and saw that the sun was at a, a minimum in its activity. That is, it wasn't throwing out as much energy as it has done in the past. So one of the major drivers of climate, the sun, which provides all the energy to drive the atmosphere, wasn't putting out as much energy as it had done. So if it's not the sun that's warming the atmosphere, then what is it? Uh, and we've understood the science, basic science of greenhouse gases for 150 years. So you know, it leaves me scratching my head. If it's not them, then what's causing the changes that we're seeing? Doug, does that answer your concern? Uh, no, he's given... Um, um evidences but he hasn't given proof in that he talked about temperatures and carbon dioxide correlations if you take ice cores for example there's um, an 800 average 800 year uh, delay between uh, temperature rises and and carbon increases and it's reverse of what most people put forward the um, temperatures rise before the carbon goes up so and on average 800 years so that tells me that it's not carbon uh, Mick what are your thoughts are there uh, is there doubt about some of the evidences that scientists bring about climate change I think um, what Doug's pointed out very helpfully is the difference between what's happened in the past and what's happened now if we think about the different ways in which carbon dioxide can make it into the atmosphere, you can either burn fossil fuels and dump it, and then you'll see the temperatures rise pretty much in sync. You can have extended periods of supermassive volcanic activity. That has also happened, and so you see a direct relationship. Or what you can do is what's happened in the past is change certain parameters about the Earth's orbit around the sun. So you might be familiar with the fact that we have two lines that run at about 23 and a half degrees north and south. They're called the Tropics of Capricorn and the Tropic of Cancer. And that ref is reflected in the fact that the Earth's axis of rotation is tilted by about 23 and a half degrees. Now, scientists have, have worked out that that wobbles over a long period of time. And that wobble changes the balance of where sunshine shines on the Earth. And when that happens, you drive temperature changes that way, and then greenhouse gases become a feedback in that process. 
by which I mean if the entire planet's a bit warmer, there's more activity, um, and therefore there's more greenhouse gases being produced. When it's colder, there's less organic activity going on, less trees, etc., and less greenhouse gases being produced. So sometimes greenhouse gases are the primary driver, uh, and sometimes they're the feedback. If I give you a simple analogy just to build it up, if I have an electric guitar, the, f the driver of what comes out of the amplifier is me strumming the strings. If I stick that in front of the amplifier, then I will get a feedback, which is the, the sound out of the amplifier vibrating the strings, and you get that whining noise that some rock guitarists like to hear. So sometimes greenhouse gases force the climate. They're the primary thing that's turning the heat up. Other times there are feedback that happen as a result of the warming. So what I'm saying is that Doug's right. When you look at ice cores, sometimes you see the greenhouse gases lagging the temperature. But we are burning fossil fuels. They are absorbing heat that is causing the temperature to rise. So what's happening in the present is different to what's happened in the past. Doug from Glen Innes in New South Wales. Doug, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Uh, let's continue because there is a sense, isn't there, Mick, that uh, people take a position on climate change and there are those who are uh, in agreement that there is climate change and it is being caused by uh, man-made activity and others uh, who are opposite and uh, sometimes difficult to actually uh, you know, win new fans when there is now an entrenched wedge that goes between uh, people here. Let's talk to a different dimension for just a few moments here. And the idea that uh, that uh, that as a biblical Christian you can have a position here. Now, uh, is there something that's unbiblical about believing that humans can change the climate? What are, you, what are your thoughts on, on having a faith position and uh, an understanding of what God might be doing in the circumstances we see in the world today? That's an excellent question. Uh, I think that throughout the Old Testament in particular, you see a correlation between human sinfulness and the consequences that they face. It's something that Paul makes very clear in Romans chapter 1. And he says that sin is a result of idolatry, uh, that we worship uh, creatures rather than the Creator, and God gives us over to sin, and therefore its consequences. So if you worship wealth, for example, and you decide that you want to build a whole bunch of things and you, you consume a lot of natural resources doing that at the exclusion of the poor and you produce a lot of greenhouse gases, well, what's the natural consequence of that? it is that temperatures will warm and everybody suffers. So you can see that very process as God giving us over to the consequences of the idolatry of worshipping mammon, which is, is what I think that we see rather clearly, that now that we're very much aware of the fact that we're changing the planet, continuing to push in the same direction is like shaking your fist at God. So I think there's a, fa a fairly clear relationship that God let, gives us over to the consequences of our sins so that we might turn back to him. And I think part of that turning back to him is repenting of the lifestyles that we lead and produce the greenhouse gases that makes everybody suffer, including those who aren't directly responsible for those emissions. Let's talk uh, just briefly about the sins that might be going on. We're talking about sins here of greed, where we hear of industry and uh, of corporations that uh, are using the uh, the the. Uh, uh, the, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, stuck for words for once, uh, <laughs> using all of the resources uh, in ways that are not uh, sustainable. Is that the sort of thing you're talking about when we talk about sins? I think that that's a good part of it. I mean, you've only to switch on television 
at any and in particular day and a good deal of the advertising is designed to stimulate within us needs uh, that we don't otherwise have so you need this new product you need a new car uh, regularly oh, I just you know I just bought a Jeep and it's this wonderful life transforming uh, decision that I've made and a purchase when at the end of the day it's just a car now I'm not directly targeting them or any one particular brand but all I'm saying is that Western consumer culture breeds within us a constant desire for more and more, a constant dissatisfaction with who we are, what we look like, and our status in life. If you go back several generations, you're looking at uh, before advertising became a big thing, this is kind of pre and during the war, people may do, people were happy with what they had. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that we want to go back to a way of living where people universally lived in poverty or that we have to live with rations etc but just that the whole consumption machine is consuming the planet at a greater and greater rate and if you look at the whole process end to end generally what happens these days is that we either mine the resources here and ship them elsewhere for manufacture or resources are mined in third world countries with very poor environmental laws and very poor labor laws and we buy back very cheap products but those products come at a price both environmental but also in terms of the lives of the people who produce them. So in advocating for dealing with climate change, I never ever separate human rights and justice issues from just looking after the planet in some abstract way because our fates are tied together. So yeah, I think that the whole consumerist um, attitude, which Christians have normally preached against, uh, is one of the principal drivers. In fact, if... Um, and then I'll shut up in a second. There was an IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, last year. Oh, no, earlier this year, I'm sorry. And they were looking at the major drivers of increase in the burning of fossil fuels. And there's two, two major factors. One is population growth, because if you have more people, you need to feed them. And the other is increase in prosperity. Now, what they found was that the population contribution has been flat pretty much for the past three decades. So the major driver of greenhouse gas uh, production in the industrialized world is an increase in prosperity and we know that an increase in prosperity doesn't make us any happier so where's the whole system going to end up and i think you can mount a solid christian critique of that okay and so we're talking about exploiting the environment uh, to fulfill those uh, those needs and those wants uh, when we talk about uh, the idea of uh, nothing unbiblical about believing that humans can change the climate there is a sense isn't there that humans can change the climate for bad or humans could change the climate for good and I guess this is where uh, you're taking a Christian position is going to be an important one we'll come back and we'll talk some more in just a few moments Dr Mick Pope meteorologist is our guest he is the Ethos Environment Coordinator. Ethos is the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. You can contribute to our conversation. Our talkback line is open. We're talking climate change. What are your concerns about the climate change debate? And is there such a thing as a Christian biblical position on climate change? You can call us 1-800-880-876. Our talkback line is open. 1-800-880-876. It's Neil with you on 20. We are talking through the controversial topic of climate change and exploring whether there is a Christian biblical position on climate change. Our special guest, Dr Mick Pope, who's a meteorologist, 
is the Ethos Environment Coordinator. Ethos is the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. You can be a part of our conversation. Our talkback line is open, one 800 Let's take another call, Mick. Uh, let's hear from L in Queensland. Hello, L. Welcome to 2020. It's Val, actually. Oh, Val. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Val, um, uh, Val, what are your thoughts? Well, I believe we are supposed to be good stewards of creation. Uh, that was um, a command given by God to look after the creation. But there's also a spiritual aspect. Um, it seems to be a relationship between the spiritual state of man and the physical state of creation. Uh, when man fell, creation fell. And again, in the judgment of the flood, um, there was a, a, a change in the environment. And the Bible tells us that the whole creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, because it too will be set free. And uh, we see in the, um, the transformation videos, if you've ever watched those, that when a community had revival... It was reflected in the environment around about it that the the crops uh, prospered and everything changed. The, the the rivers changed, the fish come back in the streams, and uh, so there seems to be this um, relationship between um, the spiritual state of man and the physical state of creation. It's many years ago now that uh, I saw those transformation videos and they were uh, quite a, an astounding uh, situation, uh, seeing that transformation happen. Let's hear from can Mick. I, can I just say yeah, sure. yep, quickly. Um, that we need, need to guard uh, against moral pollution, that moral pollution will have as big a, an effect as all the other pollution and that is something as Christians we can do. Uh, let's hear from Mick. Mick, is there a correlation between the uh, spiritual state of man and the environment? Uh, well, I and... just want to say, uh, oh, sorry, I've cut you off. Um, God bless you, Val. Uh, Romans 8 is one of my favourite passages in the Bible. Uh, I certainly think there is a strong correlation between, if you like, moral pollution and the spiritual aspect of things and what we see in creation. As I was saying earlier, Romans 1 makes it very clear that when we idolise money or wealth or sex, that warps... Uh, the way in which we relate to the things that we should be relating to rightly. So if you uh, view a lot of pornography, it distorts your sexual relationships, your relationships with members of the other sex. If you worship creation, then that will warp your relationship with it. If you worship money uh, or power, then that will change how you relate uh, to the creation. Romans 8 is a very interesting uh, passage. Paul talks about the, the whole creation groaning as in birth pains. And it's very interesting that one of the things that contributed towards the destruction of the Roman Empire was malaria. And malaria was a key factor in that because the Romans, in their pursuit of growth and power and, and building of their warships, etc., deforested the area around the harbour, which they had to constantly um, dredge out so they could get their ships through. But in deforesting that, um, that area... That led to the formation of swamps where malaria could breed. So there's a definite direct relationship between the way in which we do business, the way in which we pursue power, we do politics, etc., and the environmental destruction that we can wreak. Uh, it does come back to the fall uh, in, in abandoning God's rule over us, in deciding that we know better. And that's reflected then in the way in which we relate to the creation. So I think it, it's very, very clear that there's a strong spiritual aspect 
And that's why I think that Christians should be at the forefront of dealing with environmental issues and climate change because we have a message of hope, which Val pointed out, is in Romans chapter 8. The whole creation groans waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Uh, And so we live in the reality of the future coming of Christ. And in an age where news of climate change is in the media quite a bit and people can get very depressed about the state of things and where we're headed... It's Christians and Christians alone who can offer this message of hope. And so I think that uh, there are so many opportunities for sharing the gospel if we understand that the gospel does include the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to restore our relationship to creation. So that that was wonderful, Val. I've not seen the transformation videos myself, but uh, I must look those up. Val, thank you so much for being part of 2020 today. Let's continue to take some calls. Uh, Janice is in WA. Hello, Janice. Welcome to 2020. Yes, welcome. And our sister here has just stolen my answer. (laughs) Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) But that's okay. It was all good. And I I myself have seen the transformation videos and they just excite me no end. And I have seen um, changes in environment and in animals. Um, as the Lord has moved in a smaller way in Queensland. Um, but the thing that struck me too, as her brother was saying, it is the church's responsibility. If we don't have the answer, nobody will. And um, seeing as the Psalm 24 says, uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that he'll dwell therein, then if he's made it and he owns it, then we better ask him about it. Janice. And uh, in, Korean, in uh, 2 Chronicles, it says, you know, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, etc., etc., then he will heal the land. Janice, let's hear from Mick. Uh, Mick, you know, if the church doesn't have the answer, who will? Uh, does the church have a loud enough voice and is the church uh, strong enough to be able to make a stand and have a clear, concise way of uh, putting a position on this topic of yeah. climate change? The environmental movement's been going for some time now, I mean, arguably since the 60s or the 70s. And as I said earlier, when you you look at environmental issues, whether or not it's too much land clearing, whether or not it's greenhouse gases, whether or not it's the fact that we've uh, polluted our waters with too much fertiliser or we're extinguishing species that God's made and reflect his creative genius, uh, the environmental movement hasn't gained a great deal of traction. What they're finding now is that it's essentially it's a spiritual problem, as a couple of callers have reflected. Now, Christians are in the, in the business of spiritual issues, aren't they? Because we worship God who is spirit. But we're also in the business of calling people to repent. And it comes back to what I was saying earlier about the direct connection between a sinful, idolatrous lifestyle, which, let's face it, we can all fall into. Uh, it's, even Christians can fall over these things. That if we call people to repent about these things, that will go a heck of a long way to solving the problems. One thing I must say, though, and it's a bitter pill to swallow, but I actually think that Christians need to be thankful for non-Christian environmentalists because too often the church has not been playing its proper God-given role at the front of this issue, and they have. And I think it's an issue of, well, sometimes when the church falls down, God will raise someone else up. If you can speak through a donkey to a false prophet, he can use the environmental movement to speak back to the church and say, we need you. And that's what they're doing now. We need the church. I have an article in front of me. Uh, There was a conference recently at the Vatican, and you've got economists and ecologists, etc., all getting together and looking to the Vatican to provide moral leadership. And so the church needs to do that. Now, it's happening in small pockets, uh, and I note that Pope Francis is very much on side in terms of ecological issues and directly relating that to the welfare of human beings. 
uh, I think the broader church needs to do that as well. It's time we stood up and made ourselves heard. It's happening in small bits and pieces, but I think we're being looked to by the non-Christian environmental community to have a presence, to have a voice, and when we do it, people see that the gospel has relevancy and they respond. What I can hear you saying, Mick, is that the church needs to have a strong environmental position on more than I shouldn't just say just climate change because it is the big issue, but but there are many more environmental issues than the climate change debate. You're saying the church needs to be strong in all of those areas. I, I believe that that's the case. And because it boils down to, as a couple of speakers have pointed out, the responsibility given to human beings in Genesis chapter 1 to look and after intend for God's creation. And we've got that wrong in so many ways. It's not just climate change. That will... I guess, dominate a whole bunch of other things, but there's overfishing, so we're exhausting our fish stocks. So what are people going to eat? Uh, we're destroying species at, at, and clearing land at great rates, uh, polluting the atmosphere with all sorts of pollutants. We nearly lost the ozone layer, and Australians live right near this thing. Uh, we nip that one in the bud. So, yeah, there's a whole family of issues. In fact, some scientists now talk about something called the Anthropocene, which is to say that human beings are the dominant force on the planet. Now, of course, from a theological perspective, we know that God is the dominant force on the planet. But as I said earlier, as human beings pursue idolatrous lifestyles, God will give us over to the consequences of that. And therefore, as a direct result, we live in the light of the Anthropocene. But at the same time, of course, we live in the light of the Christocene. Christ has come and shown us that a new creation is coming. So let's get on with the business of living as if that were going to be the case. Thank you to Janice from WA for your input today. Our talkback line is open. You can call us and be a part of our climate change discussion. one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six is our number. What are your concerns about the climate change debate? Is there such a thing as a Christian biblical position on climate change? You can call us on one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six and be part of our conversation. We'll be back with more. Our guest is Dr. Mick Pope, meteorologist, and he's the Ethos Environment coordinator. We'll talk some more in just a short while. It's Neil Johnson with you on this Tuesday edition of 2020 talking through the issue of climate change and asking the question, is there such a thing as a Christian biblical position when it comes to this controversial climate change debate? Our special guest this hour is Dr Mick Pope, meteorologist, and Mick has degrees in mathematics, in physics, in meteorology and theology, and including a PhD from Monash University in tropical meteorology. We're talking about climate change today and your opportunity to be a part of that conversation. one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six is our number. Mick, let's continue to take some calls. Fred is from the Gold Coast. Hello, Fred. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Good morning to you and good morning, Nick. Morning. I was sitting listening to your conversation and uh, a scripture just popped into my head. Genesis 8.22, where it says, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Where does that fit into your thinking uh, about climate change? Because God is obviously in control, because he said that as long as those things continue, uh, it shall not cease. Mick, your thoughts? That's an excellent question. Um, When you look at the flood and you compare that to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you see, in essence, in the, in the biblical flood, an undoing of creation itself. So on um, 
day one, God creates light and darkness, and day two, he separates the waters, the oceans, from the waters above in the solid firmament. In the flood, those two things become undone. So it's an act of judgment, of wiping the creation clean and starting again uh, through the, the ark. So you see a restoration of those natural processes. Um, that doesn't mean, I don't think, that human beings can't profoundly disturb those things by their actions. Again, another ultimately act, uh, act of divine judgment. So the flood promises that the, uh, God will never destroy the earth in its entirety again, in, in, as an act of judgment but I don't think it, it excludes that human beings through their sinfulness can't provoke God again to say hey guys you're doing the wrong thing and I'm going to let you suffer the consequences of this to give you a comparison if you believe in a literal physical flood the entire earth was covered if we melt all the ice sheets that exist on the planet sea level will rise by 70 metres uh, that's a, ver a bit of a short fall uh, compared to what the biblical flood account tells us so it's not of the same order of magnitude but nonetheless, I don't think the account is saying, well, God won't step in and do things. You see that, for example, um, when you read Deuteronomy and God's talking about what are the consequences of Israel sinning and, and following idols is that the land itself will stop being fruitful. And that happens several times. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the long and the short of it. I don't think that it's a, it's a cover well, for the entire history. I, I see that as a statement that's being made as a covenant with creation after the flood yeah that, that's entirely correct um, but again human sin gets in the way and God gives us over to the consequences so the earth stands as it does and we can do an awful lot to it without utter, utterly obliterating it and utterly getting rid of seed time and harvest and wiping out every creature but we can still do a heck of a lot of damage and impact well, people's lives as a result I'm old enough to remember all the hoo-ha we had about the ozone layer and I heard you made mention of that just a moment ago. Did we solve the problem humanly, or did we have a problem in the first place? Uh, well, we most definitely had a problem in the first place. There was a detectable, and still is a detectable hole in the ozone layer. Uh, and so that's we haven't solved the problem. We have, well, what's happened is, by and large, the chemicals that were responsible for the decay of the ozone layer have been replaced. And that was fairly easy because well, corporations that's found the problem that. Well, I have with that concept because I could not find somebody that could tell me how a gas that was heavier than air could get up to the, low, the ozone layer. And two uh, maths masters from two separate high schools were left trying to draw molecules, bumping into molecules and fusing with them to make it lighter than air so it could get up to the ozone layer. So, well, we have atmospheric circulations. That's what drives the weather, and that forces air up, regardless of what the air is made of, whether it's made of carbon dioxide or water vapor or ozone. So there are well-known uh, circulations of these of these chemicals, these CFCs, etc., and they accumulate in. And look, I'm no ozone expert, but they accumulate in clouds over the polar uh, areas during winter, and various chemical reactions occur, and ozone gets broken down. So, look, again, I'm not the best person to speak to. It's pretty well-established science, the science that showed that those chemical reactions occur won a Nobel Prize from memory. Uh, the, the key thing is, as I was trying to say earlier, is that we've replaced the use of those chemicals and so we know that the ozone hole is slowly replacing itself. That's much easier than dealing with greenhouse gases because greenhouse gases are the natural production of, of um, combustion. And how do you replace those? Well, we have some things we can do, but that's going to take more time than replacing refrigerants did 
Fred from the Gold Coast, thank you so much for being part of 2020 today. Our special guest is Dr Mick Pope. We're talking about climate change. You can be a part of our conversation. 1-800-880-876 is the number to call Mick. When we talk about climate change and coming to a Christian position on climate change, there is a sense, isn't there, that when we say we have a Christian worldview, well, our worldview incorporates every issue. And, of course, there has to be a Christian issue on climate change. Is it a strong position, though, that we have as Christians, or are we, are we cherry-picking from various places just to try and give ourselves a position? Well, that's, again, a good question. Uh, I mean, the first thing is it's grounded in the fact that God is creator. And so you have two classes of beings. You have creator and created. And so if God is the creator of everything, then we, we should have a Christian position on everything. Uh, it might not be a strong one. You know, it's a Christian position on which football team I support or which flavour of juice is, is a preference. But when it's a strong moral issue, which is one of the things I've been trying to draw out, then there should be a strong Christian position. If you look at the story of the Bible, you start in Genesis chapter 1 with creation. God makes everything, tells human beings to look after it. And you go all the other way to Revelation and God returns to set everything right. No more tears, no more death, no more pain, etc., etc. So this, this broad... Uh, canvas says that creation matters to God uh, one of the, the thing that stands right in the middle of those accounts of course is the resurrection from the dead and the Bible doesn't promise that we go off to heaven when we die to dwell there forever in a disembodied state no it says there'll be a future for people in resurrected bodies in a renewed world and therefore what we do in the bodies matters to God, whether or not it's uh, what we do sexually, the things that we eat, the lifestyle choices that we make, or how we look after God's good creation that he's given us to look after. So I think it's, 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 you, you can't just cherry pick, because of course Jesus himself didn't say, blessed are the tree planters. But Colossians 1 tells us that everything was made through Christ and for Christ, and everything is being reconciled through Christ. So... No, it, it, it's a big canvas idea. It isn't just about cherry-picking various verses, although they're there uh, in the Old Testament in particular about how to carry out agriculture and look after your oxen and so on and so forth, or give the land a Sabbath rest uh, every Jubilee year, for example. But it, it's the whole story. The whole shebang tells us that this issue matters as much as anything else. Well, you can call us and be part of our conversation, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six. Dr Mick Pope, meteorologist, the Ethos Environment Coordinator. Ethos is the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, one eight hundred eighty eight zero eighty seven six to be part of our conversation. Back with more in just a moment. 2020, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. It's Neil with you on 2020 and our guest, Dr. Mick Pope, meteorologist. We're talking through the issue of climate change and is there a Christian biblical position that Christians ought to hold when it comes to this issue of climate change? We've got more calls lined up. Let's just hear from Mick on this particular uh, topic for just a moment. You mentioned a little earlier, Mick, uh, that you know the Greens... Uh, you know, sort of had this environmental card that they would play uh, regularly and they continue to do so. But a lot of the other politics of the Greens is so anti-Christian that uh, Christians couldn't possibly uh, feel as though they could align themselves with the Greens. Does this whole uh, political uh, lopsidedness uh, sometimes affect the way the Christian position comes in Christians' lives? 
I think there's guilt by association happens. And so people will see one party talk about a particular issue and then they associate it with the whole gamut of things. It's part of the problem with uh, package politics and people thinking, well, I'll vote certain party in uh, and therefore that's everything fixed for three or four years. Uh, and I think we need to move away from that because politics is personal and you have a voice all the time. So it doesn't really matter which government's in. If you believe passionately about an issue, then you write to your politician or you march on a particular issue or you act personally. I don't know that environment's a card that Greens play. I think it's something that they passionately believe in. I also do know that there are some Christian people, some committed Christian people, evangelicals, who uh, run have run for the Greens because they believe in a whole wealth of the issues. And of course, Christians are divided on some of the issues that the Greens would, by some would see as being particularly um, anti-Christian. Um, but yeah, it's a real issue that that you vote someone in and then you, you believe you're stuck with them regardless. The other thing about conservative politics that always um, makes me curious is that if you're genuinely conservative, then you want to conserve resources, then you should want to conserve the earth. So let's make it plain that issues like climate change and the environment are not left or right because we will all suffer the consequences if we do nothing about it. So let's depoliticise the issue insofar as picking a side and politicise it because we need politicians, whoever they are, to take very strong action to deal with this. Sometimes we think of the conservative side of politics as being uh, in favour of big business and corporations, uh, oftentimes the ones who are exploiting the resources. Uh, uh, there's an interesting... We won't get into that. We've got a, actually got a whole bunch of calls all banked back. Let's take some calls and we'll need to be quick. Uh, let's hear from James in Alice Springs. Hello, James. Welcome to 2020. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Great to talk to you, James. What's your thoughts? Oh, you've sort of touching on them a little bit, but just this whole um, moral argument. Just the verse that um, um, would bring out was just we're told to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What like has what fellowship is like with dark? And that's my big struggle with the Greens because they're passionate for the environment, as it's just been said, and the previous comments that your guest has just made covered some of it. Um, but basically, you know, how aligned we get with a, a particular party when they um, they t worship the, the creation. You know, the, the world view is completely different. They worship the creation, so there's an idolatry in the way they treat the environment. Um, so we have to be careful of, because the same moral arguments that obviously are being applied to the environment uh, and the consequences of sin against um, God's creation, if you like, uh, applied to the abortion debate, which is, um, you know, how can we kill 90,000 people here in Victoria and not expect consequences? So um, maybe the moral outrage um, that's, that can be brought forth about the environment issue is not equally... Um, brought forth about the abortion debate. Mick, what are your thoughts on James' comments? Oh, there's quite a few things to pick out there. Um, certainly we shouldn't be unequally yoked, but at the same time we're called to share the gospel with all manner of people. And you think of the sinners that Jesus hung out with. Uh, I have had opportunity to speak to, to green groups and uh, people are more receptive to hearing uh, that God cares about the things that they care about than straight off the bat being told they're idolaters and sinners, even though that's the case. Uh, I think at the conservative end of politics, you do encounter people who may profess a Christian faith but do worship Maimon, uh, and we need to call those people out prophetically. But I do think it's, it's correct that if we want to be pro-life, uh, and I am, uh, 
and let me put that on the table, then that also means being anti-climate change, anti-war, anti a whole bunch of other things. So, And the last writer I would put that um, Hans Schnellengruber of the Potsdam Institute has suggested that if the world warms by about 4 degrees Celsius, uh, rainfall patterns and the temperature will be such that agriculture will only support about a billion people on the planet. Now we've got 7 billion people now, which means that 6 billion people will die consciously. Um, so you throw that in the mix as well. So let's be pro-life and tackle a whole bunch of issues. Um, and just remember that even voting for a Green to put them in Parliament or Senate for whatever uh, argument's sake, uh, there is a political process. So voting someone in doesn't mean that, therefore, everything that they believe will get through. Mm. So there, there's a few random thoughts. James, that, James, thank you so much for your call, James. Let's, uh, we need to be quick. Uh, Janet is in Victoria. Hello, Janet. Welcome to 2020. Yeah, thank you. I'll try and be quick. Um, look, I, I call myself a granny, but I'm also a Christian. And um, um, my, my question is not a theological one, basically. It's um, how to approach other Christians who even belong to your church that um, are doing things to the environment that you, like removal of vegetation, native vegetation, that you know aren't good for the planet and um, but you don't want to sort of offend them you know you want to um, keep on good terms with them um, I don't you know really like going to the authorities they don't do much anyway but um, how, how do you broach this um, subject? Nick? Whoa big big issue um, I think, you know, regardless of whether or not you believe in climate change, going to texts like Genesis 1 and, say, and 2 and saying we have a responsibility to the planet uh, to be good caretakers of it is a really good place to start. If you've got a good friendship with someone, then it should be robust enough to, to survive these sorts of differences. And I do have differences, all sorts of differences with fellow Christians and our relationship survives because of it. But yeah, starting from there, um, I do think though at some point when you're dealing with prickly issues, repentance is involved and people do get offended and put offside. So it's hard when people are entrenched in certain behaviours and they can't see that maybe what they're doing is wrong. It's like any other issue if you think about it. And Janet, I would say be very gentle if you approach uh, your friends in your local church. Janet from Victoria, thank you so much for being part of 2020. John is in Sydney. In, uh, John, John, welcome along to 2020. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I just want to make a comment. Um, I'll be up front. I don't believe in uh, climate change as such. Um, and, and it could well be up and down, but I don't think it's a, it's a drama. Um, my point is is that um, um, when I, I, I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtapes, um, and, and C.S. Lewis made a comment about um, what you need, the enemy, what the enemy needs is, is something to divert it, like a good war or something like that. Um, and since him, we've had, we've had the um, problem about the Cold War. Everyone was worried about that. Uh, then we're going to have the ice age. The 70s, we're going to run out of fuel. Well, that happens. We won't have to worry about the carbon problem. Um, and my favourite um, verse of the Bible is 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John, great to hear from you. Let's, uh, let's just quickly hear from Mick, uh, diversions. Uh, sometimes these divert us from the real issues of Christianity. Well, uh, the 
Screw Tape Letters is one of my favourite books and uh, what John's referring to is what he calls in the book Christianity and Christianity and Feminism, Christianity and Environmentalism, Christianity and Pacifism. I actually think that caring for the world is a fundamental part of the gospel. It's Christian discipleship. It's, as I said earlier, that God is creator and God is redeemer of all that he's made. Romans chapter 8, when we have our exodus, when we get our resurrection bodies, the whole creation will stop its groaning because we'll be running it properly. So I don't think it's a diversion at all. Uh, just quickly, uh, it was one popular article in the 70s that talked about ice ages. We've never expected that an ice age was imminent. That's a myth. Uh, we are slowly uh, approaching peak oil if we haven't already passed it, which is why the, uh, in North America they're looking at digging up Canada for shale oil. So we're going after oil that's increasingly more difficult to get at. So, and we've got enough coal, for, uh, coal rather, for the next 500 years to totally destroy the planet. So I don't think that uh, a peak in um, fossil fuels is, is an issue. Mick, I'm going to have to cut across this. Time has run out. I want to point people, I would just thank you so much to John from Sydney, but point people to the website at www.ethos.org.au. Uh, you'll be able to read some more of what's Dr. Mick Pope has talked about. He's the Ethos Environment Coordinator. Mick, it's just been great having you on 2020 today. Let's do this again another day. Thanks so much for being with us. It's been my pleasure and I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. So there's this program you love, but you just can't remember what time it's on. Easy. Download a program guide from our website. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.